Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of getting lost in space yet another time. Oh, the pay. Danger, real weapons in danger. This week, we are continuing our prior uh, discussion on how to make the best space game. And what we're talking about is, is you know, is... And it, it differs because of the platform. Uh, if you're doing a, a, a space game that's on a computer, it's going to be based upon the resources available to you and the talent of your programmers. Uh, and, of course, whatever the so-called you know shirts think is marketable. Uh, and then there's board games, which usually have a very limited focus of, we're, you know, we're trying to raise money by mining the asteroids, we're going to engage in, in some kind of uh, negotiation, you know, using cards or some kind of, you know, whatever thing you want to do. Or it might even be as simple as uh, let's design aliens and have them fight each other in some kind of uh, free-for-all uh, throwdown kind of situation with, uh, you know, rock'em, sock'em, alien robots. I don't know. It's, you know, I'm just saying, and the role-playing games, of course, have the most flexibility, but even then, usually they have, you know, they're designed certain ways. They're either designed as exploration, they're designed as trading, they're designed as combat, and, of course, the best ones can do all those things and uh, is flexible. But, again, we're talking about resources because, you know, uh, it takes time, people have to earn a living. But, anyways... But we're talking about what we think would be really important in a space game, whether it be any of those. So we're speaking more generally about that, and we're moving on to our next topic in this discussion, which is exploration. And that's where you have to say what, you know, if you're going to explore, what resources are you giving to the player? You know, one option is you know nothing except the nearby planets. You know, you... You're, you're coming off of you know some alien alien world and you've got like in your ship's data bank or whatever uh, you, it's got like locations nearby that you could fly to or you could uh, uh, summon a shuttle from or something like that um, and they basically give you very little information and it's up to you to find out more information okay Um this is, you know, there's been lots of great games like this where, you know, you just, you, you first you explore your immediate surroundings. Uh, I've been playing No Man's Sky, and that's exactly what it's like. They start you off literally standing next to your spaceship. <laughs> and so, on a planet, somewhere. You're wrecked, you're wrecked mangled hunk of a spaceship. No, it was actually, it was in good oh, shape. Yours? It was fine. Oh, my, well, I, I played it at launch when it first came out on the ps4 and when it was you know the bad version that nobody liked oh and yeah when you started in that game you started your spaceship was crashed and you had jonathan got up jonathan got up beater yeah yeah well as as it is um when i was playing this you know they said as soon as i took you know the follow the quest line they immediately took me to another planet and when i landed on that planet there was another spaceship there and it was broken. It was all messed up, and I had and I spent a whole bunch of time fixing it up. So, uh, you know, and that's one way of. And so, you, I was told by my son that you actually could have gotten that ship launch worthy, but not really fixing everything and taking it to the nearest space station, sold it, and then uh, and then you could have taken like a couple million credits and used it for something else. And I'm like, well, thanks for telling me that now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, No Man's Sky, for telling us telling us nothing. <laughs> That's one of the ongoing problems I have with the game is that I'm like I have no idea what I'm doing, and uh, which is not a good way of designing a game. By the way, no. I you know exploration mm -hmm. is one thing, but be, not 
but where things don't make sense, you know, and I will give you an example since I've just, this has just happened to me, uh, th that you have two kinds, you have three times the sensors in this thing. You have what are called a, a visor sensor that basically tells you about the surrounding area, uh, including plants that are helpful for you surviving. Uh, and you can press the button, it'll bring up like a scanner, you look around, it'll highlight things that are around you at a fairly good distance and say things like, oh, you know, this is, there's something over there that you might be interested. It's a hit, it's a subterranean um, cache. It's a, uh, uh, it's a knowledge stone. It's a build, an unknown building or something like that. All right. Then you have a device called a signal uh, 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 amplifier where you can press a button on it and it says find nearby structures and I press the button on it and it finds a nearby structure that is five hours away by foot I'm like that's really far away <laughs> not sure how near that is okay so finally I get in my ship uh, I launch and I just start cruising around using the scanner that's in the ship is usually used to determine what what's on the planet Okay, and lo and behold, literally within, you know, like the next island over, because I'm in a kind of an island thing, there's a, there's a dwelling, there's some building that was not seen by any other things. I fly over, I land next to it, it's one of these things that you really want to get to. It was actually a, uh, uh, a, a training post with aliens, and they had stuff, and I'm like, who knew? <laughs> I thought I had to create a teleporter or fly to the nearest off planet to the nearest uh, space station in order to do this. These guys are literally, you know, five, you know, five minutes away, and that's and that include and that that includes is five minutes if I paddle across the you know across the lake to it. Okay, if I get in my ship and fly over to it, it's like thirty sec less than thirty seconds, and most of that is launching and landing. <laughs> so I'm like, what who thought this would be a good idea that you wouldn't be able to figure this stuff out? You know, that you wouldn't get some kind of a layout of interesting things nearby on a scope that you could see and figure out. Well, apparently they thought that would be a great idea to not tell anybody anything. So now I'm going to basically have to do circling, you know, the big ever enlarging spiral, yeah. just working further and further out from my base using my ship to uh, uh, to find stuff, to find all these buildings that apparently are there and they've got stuff in them uh, because none of my scanners can do a decent job of finding it for me, uh, at least until I did this. So anyways, so you sometimes you know nothing. And if you're lucky, you might even <laughs> know something about the nearby planets, okay? Uh, Jonathan, what's another option that a game might use? Um, it might let you know some of the local um, like systems, like solar systems. Okay. You know, you, you, you might not know. Like, it might, you know, like, like for us, if, if we were to suddenly become an interstellar uh, species right now, well, we'd, we'd, ha we'd know where Alpha Centauri is. Right. We don't necessarily know what all's around it, but we know it's there. You might know that there's some worlds. You might know yeah. how big those worlds are. They might even have names, but you might you not might know have... anything about them until yeah, you, you got there. You might know that one is rocky and one's a gas giant, but that's, yeah, you're not going to know right. exactly. You might know that you might know whether or not they're in the habitable zone because there is such a thing on er in every solar system. Yeah. So a lot of times uh, these games are, are uh, either about going over there and, and you know, using these scanners and, and finding out what's on the planet. But a lot of times it's about you do, going through some kind of a mini game where you go to some settlement or something and you actually try to get the locations of planets. So, you know, and, and uh, the game uh, Incursion, uh, that was kind of like a little game in there too, where you were always trying to find new locations to travel to, and you had to go and basically bargain with people for them to give up those those locations. You know, uh, especially if you you're looking for something in particular, because uh, a lot of games, as we mentioned last time, include a lot of crafting. 
Uh, and so therefore, you might need an object that could only be bought for, from a certain group or you know, it might be really expensive otherwise. And, and of course, if you're planet. trying to, yeah, if you're trying to engage in trade in any way, you're going to need to know what things cost over in another world. It'd be nice to know that before you go there. Okay. But a lot of times you don't know until you get there, whether the stuff that's in the hold of your ship is actually more expensive or less expensive. So it's good when a game allows you to figure that sort of thing out because then you can earn money which most games require you to have in order to in, in, improve your your ship yourself uh, or uh, or to buy information that you need in order to be successful. So um, so sometimes you have to buy or find locations of plans before you can go any further. And of course, the best way of find where's the, some of the best ways of finding that information, Trap? I would say if you have in the game context a major port, like Incursion, you would have ZMEX Starport. In FTL 2448, you have Fomalhaut, a major, a major starport that has interstellar and interplanetary um, contact. You could just go and, you know, if you're trying to get off a planet and explore, and you want to hire a ship, you'd go to a spacer bar or whatever, or you'd, you know... Looking for pilot or looking for ship, you know, the, the job board or whatever it would be. You would go to a major metropolitan area where that information is readily available. Because you're not going to find it at, oh, I'm in my village and, you know, it's like, it's three days hovercraft to the nearest starport. You're not going to find it there. Usually you got to go to some place of both note and capable of having that information. Right. So if if you don't have uh you know let's say you uh you know let's say you you take the the, the shuttle or whatever you hoof your way over to the nearest starport okay uh you know you might be able to buy locations from the 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 port there there might be somebody who would be in the business of selling that information navigational information but it might also be necessary for you to buy a ticket and literally go to Another world. We have a list of worlds here. Destinations. You know, you might decide just to pick one at random, or maybe you know, there might be some way of finding out some information and travel there. And once you're there, then you can get you can get the information. Like you know, now that I'm here, you know, I can find this. It has this galactic coordinates listed up on a pillar right in the middle of the uh, space station. Now I have that. I can go back to the world I came from and plug it into my starship and now I can fly there. So sometimes they make it a, you know, a bit of a trial to do that. And I don't know what's more fun. I think negotiating with people for coordinates uh, or finding rumors about place, you know, cause like, for example, if, if you were like a local chamber of commerce, you'd want people to come to your world. So you'd be like, say, Hey, uh, join the, uh, this lottery and you might win the coordinates to our to our fabulous resort and of course it's just a marketing technique every which by the way this has been done to me everybody who submits a uh, a raffle gets contacted <laughs> by somebody who's trying to sell something and they tell you how to get to them would you like oh, yeah. we have this wonderful timeshare on this world here yeah yeah because one of the options is you can't just get in your ship and fly until you find something. And I've done that many times in um, in Starpoint Gemini, where you literally just get in, take off, and just head in a direction. Sooner or later, you find a planet. I mean, it'll show either you'll see it in the distance or it'll show up on your scanner, and you're like, oh, okay then. You know, and 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 the GM might just say, well, you've traveled, you know. Uh, five light years, and uh, lo and behold, there's that your scanners picked up a you know a, a planet, you know, like cool. And there's even a signal coming from it because of course you want it to be interesting, and uh, and you go over there and you find uh, you know it's a Beller Hell, yeah, fun time, <laughs> good times, or you know whatever hell in any other game we want to talk about, you know. So uh, 
you know, that whole thing there, this is the distress call, this is the spaceship Beowulf, you know, we're losing fuel, losing oxygen, having to put down, please, can someone help us? Can anyone hear this message? You know, then you, but then you play games like Fallout, where it's on auto loop from 200 years ago. Ah. <laughs> and you get there saying, I'll rescue you. Those they're all dead. amazing batteries, though. <laughs> they're always all dead. And, except- now I'm, and now I'm reminded of the episode in Red Dwarf where they found Crichton and he's still taking care of the skeleton sitting at the table. <laughs> yeah. Putting the lipstick on the, on the woman's, you know, skull. All right, so, uh, but I I don't think just flying until you find something is is a, is the best way of of discovering planets. Uh, though it's nice to know that if you did do that, you would be successful eventually. Well, the thing is, see, it, I I just don't see that as plausible even in a game. It shows that you know flying in space is not an easy and safe thing to do. We're just going to go out into orbit and just go in a direction until we hit something. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, and, what, uh, and, what we, and, and, and Jonathan from the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what do we know about space? There's a lot of it. It's, <laughs> I mean, a whole lot of it. It's really... I cool. mean, you wouldn't believe how much there is of empty space in space. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to find yourself flying just you know, with interesting things just outside the range of your scanners. But, uh, but that's why, you know, in a lot of games, they have cool things like, well, we picked up this radio broadcast. You know, it, it, it's coming from that direction. You know, uh, it's, nothing's on our scanners for, five, you know, for 15 light years, but there's got to be something somewhere out there because we're getting this reading, you know. And, of course, you know, you, <laughs> you, when you, by the time you get to the planet, of course, it's no longer transmitting but because you were picking up a, a, a transmission that was started 15 years ago but you find a planet and then you get to investigate more and 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 find the the remains or as they say you know the robot revolution is in full swing yeah yeah we welcome our we welcome our robot overlords yeah yes but they don't welcome you in most cases or you know the planet where all the hairdressers and phone sanitizers have evolved to become the new dominant race on the planet they had to evolve in order to do that i thought that was interesting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> because hands, hair, hair, uh, phone sanitizers and hairdressers apparently are not capable of raw, becoming being the dominant race on the planet. <laughs> and 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 of course, if we're going to do this, okay, we got to have some way of doing it, right? So you know, what's what's your preference? Do you like wormhole travel? You know, uh, uh, quantum quarters, super speed. Fast travel, where you just click on it and, you, and, and, and it goes to black and comes back and you're around the planet? Or, do you, like I said, or do you just prefer to just head on through, uh, you know, in, as fast as the ship will go until you finally get to where you're going in real time? That that last one only really works if you're doing intrasystem travel because you might be I, able to get... I, I do mean that. Yeah, I don't mean... If you're doing real time and you're not going faster than light, the game's over. Yeah, <laughs> you're done. Yeah, you're no longer playing Kerbal. Yeah, you are now doing Metamorphosis Alpha. Yeah, um, yeah, and nothing against that game. It is a game that in the role playing industry is considered venerable. But yeah, I let's see, worm. Okay, corridors, wormholes. I I just default to the old hyperspace where you pick. Okay, you shunt yourself into a different dimension, and you travel at a multiple of the speed of light. And you figure out, okay, how many days do you spend on board the ship? And then, boom, you're there at your destination. Oh, it took right. us 10 days to go 350 light years. Oh, okay, 350 light years, you'll get there in a week and a half. And if you want to role play the stuff that's going on in that time, fine. If not, it's a quiet ride. You get there 10 days later. You know. So usually, for me, it's the dimensional sidestep type thing. Yeah, And that can be and done... Dep- that can be done with wormholes, corridors, you know, the first four that you have listed here. Yeah, well, super speed is an awful lot like warp drive, where you actually, it seems like you can see the world, you know, the, the, what's ahead of you. You might not be able to see what's behind you, but ahead of you, you can see, like, you know, uh, you know, the galaxy zipping up towards you. Yeah. Of course, it, it, it doesn't zip because it's a galaxy and stars are very far apart. But I'm just saying, if you're traveling, you know, like a light year a day, 
then you know that's still amazingly fast. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, I've actually played games where, uh, and again, this is a, a computer game where they said, "Okay, you're going to arrive in you know five minutes and thirty seconds," and it counted it down. <laughs> so I don't like that. Uh, I, I it's okay for them to say this is how much time it's going to take to get there, you know, or this is how much fuel it's going to take, or something like that. But it's been that way. Like I said, when and sometimes when you do these super speed games where there is no warp driver, I mean, you are traveling faster and you are an inner in, you are inner system. Okay. So yeah, you're just literally zipping around the solar system, and it and it takes and it literally takes real time to get places. There isn't a click the on the destination, kick in the hyperspeed drive, and and then like say the screen either either they have a cool you know uh, jump to light speed uh, Star Wars effect, or uh, they have some kind of a warpy thing, or sometimes it's you know it's some some kind of special effect. But you uh, you don't have to wait five minutes to actually get to your location. You know, it's it's only when you're trapped on the world you literally have to slog your way there because you know you ran out of fuel and you have to go find more. So the Star Citizen game that's been in development for what five years and will probably be in development for five more. But um, I've been watching some uh, let's plays of that, and yeah, they use that kind of that warp drive type of mechanic they call quantum drive. Yeah. But it's it, it is you're traveling in real time. So if you're traveling to another star system, you have to be in hyperspace, so to speak, for like three to five minutes. But it's an MMO. It's a game where thousands of people are supposed to be playing at the same time together. And, you know, it kind of makes sense in that in that context, plus with the fact that you can supposedly be interrupted and brought out of hyperspace. Uh huh. So, again, it's like it makes sense in that game where travel you kind of need people to not be able to fast travel. You need to keep track of everybody in real time. Okay. Well, I, I, I gotta say, I don't, I don't personally like it. Uh, I, I mean, it might be required by the game in order to have everybody have some kind of equality of experience. But, but yeah, in a uh, single player, I don't, I, I, I don't want to sit through five minutes of travel just because. All right. Cause that's, cause that's why I say, you know, does it take time? Can travel be interrupted? You know, uh, and if it's interrupted, is it being interrupted by failures? You know, uh, like equipment failures. Is it being interrupt interrupted by quantum events, like uh, uh, a supernova goes off, uh, or even uh, pirates or somebody else uh, going and uh, doing something to disrupt your drive, so you fall out of it? I. I usually use usually because usually you're in hyperspace, warp space, whatever you want to call it. Usually, only one or two things mess up the trip. One equipment failure, either due to just failure or possibly sabotage. Or uh, the convention I use is you have to go into and out of warp space away from gravity wells such as stars and planets. At the very minimum, you have to be above planetary orbit of a planet, at the very most, like in FTL 2448, you have to be at the edge of the solar system. The entire solar system counts as a gravity well. You uh -huh. get too close to something, like some anomaly flares up and it drops you out of hyperspace and you're in real space again and you're on the edge of a black hole. You know, that type right. of thing. Yeah, or a, or a neutron star. Yeah, something like that. Some celestial anomaly or event disrupts your trip through hyperspace and you only make it like halfway there because it flared up enough for the safeguards in fill in the blank for whatever faster and light device you use to get around. Oh, that's a problem. We need to drop back into real space and re-navigate. And you... Yeah. So you don't think anybody can jump you in hyperspace? Like, you know, because they did that in Babylon 5. Yeah, usually my things in hyperspaces, and, and I notice Rich did it in his games, you are by yourself. You do not interact with hyperspace, other hyperspace travelers. You, you are alone in your own little bubble, as it were, zipping through whatever fill-in-the-blank dimension. Usually the only time you interact with any other ships or whatnot 
is when you were back in real space. That's just how yeah. I roll. That's just what makes sense to me. So, Well, if you have a hyperspace transmitter and it sends a message saying, help, we're in trouble, you know, we're, you know, our, our ship broke down, can uh, you think that you should be able to interrupt your travel and drop out of hyperspace. Oh yeah, yeah, you can. Or are you, you can... hardwired until you get to the end, and then you can turn around and try to come back? Oh no, I would say if you have, if you're able to traverse dimensions, you should be able to exit it at will. If there is a reason, like okay, stop the hyperdrive, let's get back into real space, find out where we are, renavigate a course to follow that signal. So yeah, you. I mean, obviously, your ship is probably you know. The ships in my games, fill in the blank, whatever game I'm playing. Yeah, they're going, I mean, obviously you're going to have safeguards to drop your ship back into normal space anyways. But you should be also able to do that on your own. Like, okay, we need to, we can't go on until the planet. We have to stop, turn around, and head over this way. You should be able to have that as a mechanism of the device you have to get you from planet to planet. Okay. I would think that just makes sense. I mean, it just. I would think that. Right. There, yeah, I would think that there would be controls within the ship that the crew could do that, but they're not going to do it willy nilly. It's usually something like a distress call, and we need to, you know, replot a course, and yeah. Okay. Uh, do you think that's a good idea, Jonathan? Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I like the idea that you can't be jumped in hyperspace, although there might be ways of pulling you out of it. But you can't fight, you know, you, there's, you, I kind of like the idea that when you're in hyperspace, you are there by yourself. But like, because in like in Star Wars, you had the idea, the idea that, you know, you couldn't really be tracked or, or attacked in hyperspace, but the Empire had interdictors that could make you jump out of it. Okay. Well, you know, there is, if you can receive a hyperspace transmission, you can also receive a hyperspace transmission with a virus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The old, yeah. oh, we piggybacked it on the subspace channel. Yeah. Right. And so you receive it, and all of a sudden your ship decides to drop out of warp right next to some battle cruiser, the pirate battle cruiser, or imperial battle cruiser who's looking, who's been looking for you. Or information uh, about you, and of course, in we've seen in um, Star Trek Into Darkness that it was pretty much oh ships can't interact with each other in warp, and then you know Section Thirty One did the whole vengeance thing where it was following them in the same warp corridor, which to generally what was known in the Federation and in that universe. Yeah, you're all by yourself, and all of a sudden, here comes this big, black, large ship trailing you and firing at you while you're in hyperspace. So, yeah, I mean, if you'd have it, if you had it where, you know, people could follow along with you, yeah, that would, that as we saw in that movie, it was a game changer. Because even Kirk is like, wait a minute, the ship can do what? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I travel being interrupted. Yeah, it would depend on the mechanism. Either, you know, you get the call and you can interrupt it yourself. It's interrupted due to some celestial event. Or, I don't know, well, whatever techno babble you want. Oh, well, this ship can lock onto another ship's warp signature and, you know, throw in whatever techno babble you want to, you know. Okay. Because I'm, I'm sure it's very comforting. To, uh, for some people, they would say, no, no, when I start going to another location, I don't want anything interrupting my trip, okay? If I get a, if I get a message or something like that while I'm traveling, that's fine. I'll deal with it once I get there. But I want that corridor to be sacrosanct, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I know there's some people that would prefer it that way, okay? Um, because, I mean, if you were playing like a card game or something like that, or you were playing a role-playing game, you'd... You 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 know you're going along and you might say okay let's roll on the table to see if there's any incidents that happen during the trip, you know the uh, and it would be modified by how long the trip is the condition of your ship, uh, you know the quality of the the the, the tech level of your ship, um, you know the the quality of your crew. You know? I, I personally would say that if if it's a game where you're spending all your time in the ship, then 
I would probably have hyperspace B that sink or sink. You cannot touch me here. But if it's a, a game where you can get off the ship, go hang out on a planet for a little while, or if you have a home base you can, you know, stay at, then yeah, I'd say hyperspace isn't, you know, safe because it's all about having that rest period, that guaranteed rest period, so to speak. Well, if that's what you're doing, if you're using hyperspace as the way to give your your PC's downtime, then yeah, yeah. that's that makes sense, okay? But yeah. uh, most, you know, uh, I, I just know from most of the games I've seen, first of all, is it in a computer game, there is no downtime. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, you're never tired, you know, uh, usually you may have hit points, so that'd be the only reason you do anything would be that usually they have some kind of nanite thing, uh, therapy to heal you up so you don't have to wait but in role-playing games you know a lot of times you know characters need downtime time to study time because we i think we talked about this uh the last time is that you know what can you do while you're in hyperspace okay like you can improve your skills you can make things you can uh you know do a number of things while you're traveling oh yeah uh, yeah i I did that with i do that with uh whatever because I've made, and Rich put it in Portals 3, where it's basically Riverside, Iowa, with a Kelvin timeline. Jeff DeRef's character is from that timeline, and I've popped Team Candlestick back a couple times to deal with stuff in the Kelvin universe. So I use warp rules that I found from the Prime Directive, you know, the old Starfleet Battles games. They did Prime Directive uh, D20 Modern. So I'm like, okay, it's going to take you a week with stops at star bases along the way to get from this point to this point. You have seven days. What are you going to do? And I will sit there and I will ask each single player, what are you doing in these seven days? And Josie's like, well, I'm working on this tech device. You know, Z, he's like, well, I'm working on the database for the language for this, you know, culture that we just left. And, you know, everybody, I, okay, well, it's going to take you this much. You've used three days. you got four days left. What are you doing? You know, so I, I use, I do use the time between intrasystem travel for characters to get things done. It is, yeah, I use it as downtime, yeah. And often it's like, hey, you got that device done. It's ready to use once you make landfall. And I might even throw in an adventure just to pass the time. Field test! Okay, go to this, you know, cargo bay and test out this new weapon you had. We set up this, you know, <laughs> this this piece of hull plate and try to shoot through it. Okay, you just shot through the wall and into the food repository system. Uh, yeah, you're going to need to send engineering to, you know, make sure we have dinner tonight, you know. Just to give the players something to do. Give them some agency in, well, no, I just sit around and, you know, I relax for, you know, I do my my duty shift and I just were like, no, I give them, this is the chance where they get to, and I'll throw in something like that. You know, just, yeah, Ensign so-and-so has to go fix the food replicator because the weapon that Silas shot through the, the hull plating went through it like butter. Yeah. I mean, it's also opportunities for you to develop relationships with the other, uh, the other members of your crew, good and bad. You might find out how much you hate the other members of your crew. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, they brought that up in uh, Star Trek Beyond about, yeah, you know, the confined quarters for three years, some, some, it really works out well, and you see the two getting amorous, and for others it doesn't, and the green Orion chick throws Chekhov out of her quarters and tosses the shirt at him with the three crew members looking at him, he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, you, it, it, it would give chances if, if you have the players in your game that do the role playing and the romantic subplots and the in the character interaction, yeah, you can. I, it, most of my players, the character interaction is usually bantering and. Excuse me, I'm, I'm I I have a group. I love them dearly, but they are not one for anything approaching romantic subplots or character interaction of that level. Yeah, I have the same problem. Yeah, it it just and and there I have a few gamers that I can do that with. And they do that with each other, but usually it's, I'll, I'll have to throw an adventure like, oh, it's the weapons test. You can test your device or, you know, a strategy meeting because you guys spent two days doing research. And okay, then the third day you're in the ready room and we're going to role play this out. Something like that. 
Uh, Jonathan, do you like doing stuff while you're traveling from place to place with your crew? Yeah, like I said, I, I it, again, it depends on if we're playing a game where it's like we have a home base. Eh, traveling, light duties, yeah, small, real, you know, mainly roleplay focused stuff. Because I assume anything big they're going to do during downtime is going to be done at home base. But yeah, if you're like playing the Star Trek, you know, exploration ship, you never get really get off the ship. Everything's done there. Oh yeah, you got to have it because that's again, you got to have that downtime stuff to do anything for character advancement that isn't in the midst of a crisis. Because it's always a crisis. You really shouldn't be. You really shouldn't be playing a game if you're not having a crisis every week. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, it, it varies. That's, so you like your games to have lots of crises in. Right? Well, I'm I'm being a little hyperbolic. I mean, you know, a mission. I guess you. I mean, I've. You can try uh, like sandboxing it, letting people letting people go their own way, but. It, when you every this is just in my experience. Whenever you have people with a starship and the freedom to do whatever they want, it always ends up being bad. <laughs> okay. Wow. I I I'm sorry for your experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's just never good. Uh, they can be the they can be the lower crewman, but if you let them be the captain and make decisions, no. <laughs> So you would prefer a lower decks campaign than a <laughs> probably know, yeah 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 where they still have somebody to answer to when they start trying to become space pirates yeah yeah yes they 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 get addicted to the the uh, uh oh the uh, holo suite <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know because you know there's got to be timers in those things or there you know because there are people there are people that would never leave those places. Oh yeah, I think I think they even said on the show that they they have to schedule time for it. Well, that's because they only have so many, and everybody wants to get in there. But I'm just oh, saying, is it, what's that? I would. Oh, definitely. Okay. All right. So, uh, Jonathan, why don't you tell us about uh, when you're out there traveling? What's the sort of things can you you think you should be able to find out in space? Oh, so many things like. <sighs> Assuming you're close to a solar system, where we believe most solar systems are going to have an Oort cloud, you know, a cloud of dust and debris with asteroids and planet, uh, small planetesimals and and things like that, before you even get into the system proper. Oh, you mean like a Kuiper belt, which from what we got Pluto? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And we think our Oort cloud stretches out to maybe a light year away from the sun. Yeah, I just read something about that because, actually, I'm plotting a future FTL 2448 campaign with Pathfinder. That's going to be my... I'm basically converting the old Tritex up to Pathfinder rules. And I'm reading up on our solar system, and yeah, I found that out, that that Oort cloud now is going out to about that far. And just, I was, oh, okay, because... Bruce, you remember John saying that a lot of stuff in the old, in the 92 FTL game was outdated, like the, uh the Gleese chart and all that. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to update it a little, just, you know, give it a little more verisimilitude for my three Friday gamers, Carrie, Gina, and Amber. And I'm researching that. I'm like, oh, wow. Technically, our solar system extends out that far? So, yeah. Jonathan, you just mentioned that. It was, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that on either some space, like space.com or Wikipedia or something. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't and, that like China declaring that, you know, th their borders go out 100 miles offshore? Well, I mean, in the sense that we know that there is stuff, or we suspect that there is stuff there, like meteors and or, or asteroids, I should say, and you know that that isn't empty space once you just get past the Kuiper Belt. That that Kuiper Belt is essentially all, you know, almost what another well a light year's worth of material of asteroids yeah. you could you could possibly find and explore or colonize or whatever you want to do with them. Right. Well, I mean, it is important because, you know, there was a time when science fiction writers said that, well, once you get outside the solar system where there's nothing, okay, then you can use your, you know, faster than light drive and you can travel 10, 15 times the speed of light. But if there's a single dust moat out there <laughs> and it hits your ship, the whole thing is going to burst into, is explode 
because yeah. you know you'll be it, the relative loss. You know, when it tries to accelerate, what I'm trying to say is that you know it's uh, uh, it's going to when you hit it, it's like it hitting you at 15 light you know uh, uh, light speeds and just plowing through the ship and destroying it. So they were saying so it's really important that the space in between the space between the solar systems be really really rarefied. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> And it because looks at like that speed, nothing that you did, I mean, unless, unless you had like a uh, deflector shields that went around the ship from a distance of five light years, uh, there's no way you <laughs> could actually deflect anything out of your path. Yeah, again, that's where you're like, your only option seems to be like that hyperspace dimensional shunt. Yeah. yeah, it's a safer method because it doesn't, you, re- you know, you basically assume that hyperspace is empty. Because, yeah, I mean, just travel. looking at the numbers, like our closest neighbor, Proxima Centauri, is just about four light years away. So if we've got a light year in our backyard and a, being conservative and saying that Alpha Centauri system has its own light year thick Oort cloud, there's only two light years of what could possibly be empty space between them. That's half okay. your trip. <laughs> okay, yeah. The, okay. Like, so yeah, you but, couldn't be able to just go there fast without. Yeah, I mean, a lot of empty space. Yeah, if, if I mean, if you're going to keep bumping into things every uh, quarter light year, then that could really slow slow down your trip too. It could make it a lot longer if you didn't have something like, you know, uh, uh, like hyperspace. And then it would call into question: Okay, what is the uh, sophistication of our hyperdrive? How close can we get to that gravity well before it, it forces us back into real space? Yeah. So, uh, because you know, that was the thing, as you said, with FTL, you couldn't use the high, faster than light uh, phase drive unless you were outside the gravity well. But wh- when are you actually outside it? <laughs> That's that, that, yeah. that has to be spelled out in the game. And uh, so you know how long it's going to take you to get to the point where you actually can. Uh, warp away. So, but what other things, uh, uh, Trav? Can you do? You think you'd be finding out in your explorations of space? Well, if you have other star-faring cultures that have, you know, been out and about and have had damage to their ship, you might find what you put as wreckage fields. Now, wreckage fields. It could either be, oh, you enter a system and you find that one of their outer planets' moons has basically a floating space junkyard. Or, with the whole, oh, you drop out of hyperspace due to some gravitational effect or mass effect, you drop out of hyperspace because you find the wreckage of a of space battle. Like, two armadas went at it and there's just wrecked ships everywhere floating in the, in the, the vastness of space. Right. And, and yeah, and so that could be a great place for salvage. Yeah, or finding space zombies. It just depends on how your GM feels. Yeah. <laughs> space zombies. It's always space zombies. Let's let's not forget about space ghosts. Yeah. Cue the music, but uh, <laughs> Greetings. But, I am Space Ghost. And yeah, yeah, now I'm think now I'm hearing Brack. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But uh but not just that, but it's, it's the fact that uh you know, a lot of uh, in a lot of cultures, ghosts are or the result of people dying with unfinished business or yeah. dying in you know in a in a in a place where they cannot find rest or things like that. And being and I think that just dying in a space battle, you know, unless they could find your body and tra- and tractor it back to your home world, you might find yourself stuck there. And so you'd have all these haunted uh, uh, wreckage fields. Yeah, which, which I think would really uh, increase the uh, the weirdness of the place because I find wreckage fields to be very very weird because you've got all kinds of things that you know occasionally will light up as you come close to them or uh, or they're they're reflecting light in weird ways and and of course the ever popular oh look this munition went off oh this mine was launched but it's just floating there and it's a proximity mine yeah yes. things like that weird alien weaponry and right you know just yeah so you you can uh you know you can head on over to the wreckage field and 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 find all kinds of cool stuff 
uh, a lot in a lot of games they just simply say well you know when you mine asteroids you get minerals you get uh iron you get things like that but when you mine but when you go over to wreckage fields and you mine them you get wire you get uh uh, uh hydrogen you get uh uh alloy plates and things like that so it's kind of like one's resources one's technology and so you know, and and if you're if you have a lot of, of uh, uh, a, a lot of crafting in your game, then uh, this you know it, it makes a big difference as to what you go at. Oh no! In the um, and and remember, folks, Pathfinder three o three five d twenty modern are all interchangeable and uh, what's the word I'm looking for. 3035 is reverse compatible, Pathfinder, all of that, and technically so second edition. But I for salvage rules, I use the D20 feet salvage, where it says, okay, it is a cybernetic attachment, a vehicle, a mecha, a starship, or a robot. What is its size? Okay, it's going to take you this long to do it. Here is your perception or search DC. And this is how much wealth you're going to get from all the various little bits and pieces and nuts and bolts and various systems you have in order to because I use the I've, I've, I use the the wealth system from D20 Modern as default now it just works for me so yeah you okay yeah you go to this uh this wreckage field you know this you know these two alien space armadas have you know kicked the crap out of each other and there's Hundreds of floating ships around. Oh no, you could spend weeks just getting all sorts of good salvage. And granted, it would be bits and pieces and you can just role play out. Well, it's an alien system, so you gotta do a knowledge tech check to make sure that it'll fit with your technology. Yeah, but once you do, you can make all sorts of cool stuff with it. Repair your ship, augment your ship, what have you, because you have all this wonderful salvage that you strip from these ships, so that's more of that downtime stuff that you can do. Oh yeah, on the way to this world we stopped by, you know, we got dra- pulled out of hyperspace and found this wreckage field of uh, an old space battle. Yeah, on the rest of the trip, yeah, we <laughs> we, we we put new guns on the starship. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, something like a wreckage field if you have the crafting in your game and you have the downtime via space travel, Oh no, you can make all sorts of cool stuff. It just depends on what system your uh downtime and crafting systems, you know, how they how they work out. But yeah, you could sit there and, you know, your ship will look totally different by the time you come out of hyperspace. Wait a minute, how did you <laughs> funny story, you found this wreckage field. Yeah. So yeah, I they mean had the Alludium Q thirty six detonators. Yeah, the space modulator. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> well, oh, that, no, wreckage. Uh, that, that, and and a uh, uh, alludium Q thirty five space module is really good for blowing up planets to get to the uh, uh, get to the nickel and iron goodness in their centers. Yeah, blow. <laughs> yes, I want to blow up the Earth. It it blocks my view of Venus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wait a week. <laughs> is isn't that delightful? <laughs> yeah. Mel Blanc right now is rolling over in his damn grave. Just letting y'all know, folks. I'm not doing the man justice at all. Anyways, hey, look, what's the next thing we can find while we're out there? I want to talk about this because this is weird. I played a whole bunch of games, but especially in Starpoint Gemini, gas pockets. Apparently, they think there's just, and also I think this was in uh, Rebel Galaxy, there's just sections of space that are just filled with gas. Now, you know, I mean, there's these things called nebula that yeah, are huge amounts of gas. Okay. Yeah. And when the gas gets t- together in, in in a condensed form, they call those stars. Okay. <laughs> Which you just don't yeah. have basically uh, the equivalent of a balloon, a weather balloon, saw full of gas without the weather balloon just hanging around together because we're buds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently in these games there are because you can go out, find them, and harvest them. And well, I, I would think if you have, oh God, what is the device called? You're talking the the, oh, uh, the uh, brasser uh, the brasser ramjet. Yeah, ram scoop. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you got a ram scoop and you come upon a gas pocket, yeah, you fly bad, fly past that and get you know 
or what do they say down south? A heaping helping of that of whatever gases you have that you know might have that deuterium or trillium, uh, tritium or whatever. Yeah, that uh, refuel stop. You know, gas. I think it make more sense to do that to a gas giant than to think you can find it out in space. Now there is a a place to find this, okay? But it, it's you know, and it's called a comet. Yeah. All right. Anything that is covered with water. All right, that is frozen. You can go out to and you know drill into it, heat it up with a laser. You know, really, you know, uh, and vaporize. You know, the, the what is what is the material? You know, like water or something like that. So it comes out of it and hopefully ionizes it, so you can suck it in to some kind of cell. You know, with magnets, and then you know, uh, compress it. You know, because uh, if you got like you know tractor beams, then you can pull gas into your ship uh, or something. Uh, so, but it makes sense if it's like in another form that's not gas, and you convert it to gas and then absorb it. You know, in some way that that would actually make sense that there would be enough there for you to it be worth your effort. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, I, I have a okay. hard time believing that any any small pocket of gas would stay as condensed without it being enough to be a star. Yeah, it's it, it just seems... Or at least, a, okay, thing. Jonathan, at least a nebula. A nebula, you, then at least you're going to have a yeah, bunch of stars. Yeah, Because that's the thing, a nebula only looks like a cloud of gas from us way, way far away. I think I remember reading... I don't know. It's pure speculation, I believe. But I think I remember reading an article saying that some scientists believe that the solar, the, our, our solar system might be part of a nebula. But because we're Oh, in yeah. It. I, I think we... Well, I've also read that we technically were at one time, a very, very long time ago, a binary star system. And our star system is the result of what happens when one star leaves. That yeah, our star I mean, system we have all was sorts vastly of guesses, different. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always, and, you always have to kind of take everything with like a, maybe, but, I mean, if we were in a nebula, we wouldn't notice the difference. It'd just be empty space, just have a little bit more gas in it. It's only at yeah. the huge grand scales that it looks thick, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the pillars of eternity. That stuff is is tenuous, and it's light years across, which is why we can see it at that distance. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm not a fan of it, but I mean, depending on the game, I can see why it could be there. Right. But as we all know, as you've already mentioned, he says it does, you know, the rubber doesn't hit the road really in a space game until you come across, you know, intelligent life, like at a space station or a research base or something like that. That's, that's where, that's what everybody wants to get to because those are the, uh, that's where all the fun stuff happens. Space you know. zombies. What's that? Space zombies. Space zombies. Well, not just space zombies. Well, they were actually kind of zombie-like. The green slime took over the space station. Mm. Oh, yeah. Do you, you ever see that old, that old movie? It sounds familiar, but like details are, are spugging. Okay. It's, uh, it's worth watching just from the fact that you know, it's 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 like you're looking at how people from an entirely different time, as of like 50 years ago, okay, actually hypothesized what an invasion of a space station by aliens would be like. And believe me, it's it's nothing like uh, <laughs> what we would do today. <laughs> it's uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that is you know, everybody, uh, a lot of games start off, you know, at a space station. Uh, because that's where all the, the cool stuff is. That's where you can buy a ship. That's where you can upgrade a ship. That's where you can buy cargo. That's where you can engage in negotiations and political stuff. It's where you can join factions or at least learn about factions. It's where you can find, you know, coordinates to other places. And if there is such a thing as um, hyperspace corridors and and uh, you know uh, quantum quarters and such, they're probably going to be somewhere near a space station, or vice versa. I should say it's not like because you have a space station. Well, yeah, I mean, 
if it's an important one, like Fumble Hut was supposed to be important in FTL, then I wouldn't be at all surprised if they would build a hyperspace link or, you know, a portal into the hyperspace network near the space station. So, yeah. If it's man-made, then yeah, you're going to put it around every major tree. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So, but if you, you know, but but sometimes you run into weird space, which is nothing like the game from uh, TriTech Games. We're there's uh, what we refer to as time space anomalies. Okay, tell us about that, Jonathan. Oh, well, that's where you get all the you know the fun stuff like where space is bleeding into another dimension or uh, reality, or where time is looping every ten minutes, or places where you know up is down and left is right. You know. Yeah, where there's a million monkeys uh, wanting to show you this copy of Hamlet they just typed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just so, got to get past the mil- You just got to get past the million typewriters they used to make it. Yeah. Yeah, and the ten million banana peels. There's, a, there's this huge pile, and there's this one. There's this one ape at the very top of it waving the manuscript back and forth, and then he lets he, he slips, and he it goes fluttering out in all directions, and he just cries. Anyways, eek, eek, but eek. Uh, uh, and it could and and this anomaly, you know, could be the result of a cataclysmic space battle where they used, you know, really weapons really, that should never have been made. And yeah, yeah. where you know two black holes go, uh, you know, really loved each other, and <laughs> <laughs> or when a mommy black hole and a daddy black hole get together and really care about each other, that's where a baby black hole comes from, son. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, but uh, but I mean, it could also be uh, something that's being generated by uh, an ancient artifact of some kind. You know, some of that super ultra tech from yeah. eight, from civilizations that died off a billion years ago. But you, every once in a while, you still find things. So uh, it could also be um, uh, a proto star, a star that's just about to get started. Um, and, uh, it could be a, uh, 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 as you say, a rift, but it could be a useful rift where it, you know, like a white, uh, uh, a white hole or, uh, how some people use black holes, it might be a way of, you know, side slipping into, uh, a, a far distant part of the, of the galaxy or even further other galaxies, you know, uh, uh yeah, that so, just makes me think of, um, that game Outer Wilds. Uh, if you guys have played that, is that a computer game, board game? It's a computer. What? It's a computer game. It's it's a one of those exploration. You know, let's figure out the wackiness of our universe. You're in a extremely scaled down solar system, and it's a bit of a spoiler, but it's within the first you know thirty minutes of the game. And this is a you know can be a long game, so I'll go ahead and spoil it. You find yourself in a time loop. And the time loop always ends when your sun goes supernova. So the whole point is exploring your tiny little solar system in the 30 minutes you have before the sun goes supernova and you reset. And presumably, hopefully, try and find a way to, you know, prevent the sun from going supernova. And you're finding all these artifacts left behind by an ancient race and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you live long enough, you might actually learn how to use them well enough to make that happen. So you have exactly, how many times yeah. you got to rinse and repeat before that happens, huh? Mm-hmm, exactly but it's it's all about it's one of those games where it's definitely about exploration because it doesn't really it gives you hints you know there's artifacts that will that you can translate the text on it'll tell you give you ideas of where to look next there's uh other explorers who have already gone out and have ideas about what may hiding on the planet they're they're camping out on but yeah for the most part it's just you putting this puzzle together all right Everybody, thanks for being us on this journey. These two uh, altogether four released episodes uh, on how to make the the, uh, great space game. Uh, We hope that you'll be looking for games that have these qualities in them, so that you can enjoy really, you know, uh, maximize your leisure time. Maybe finding the thing that really jazzes you that you might not have been able to find before, and maybe even find a game that lets you do some real role playing. Uh, because that's why I got into all this in the first place was, uh, I, you know, I wanted my, I wanted to imagine myself doing these things 
and role-playing games was my ticket to doing that. So uh, hopefully you uh, will play some of the games we mentioned because we think they're all great games, and we'll have more for you next week. But you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.